Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as have I done to you. Father in heaven, help us understand what Jesus does for us on the cross, in this foot washing, and especially over these next three days. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, I'm glad you're here. This is a really, it's a really holy day, which is why it's often called Holy Thursday. Uh, but another name for it is Maundy Thursday. And you may think, what, is, what does Maundy Thursday mean? Is it a reference to the Godfather? Is it, you know, somebody misspelled it long ago and it just has stayed in the canon? Maundy Thursday, Maundy is an anglicized way of saying the Latin word mandatum or command. And later in the, uh, John chapter 13, we didn't read the exact verses, but Jesus will say in verses 31 to 35, a new command I give you. So this day, and in particular this night, is focused on two things. The first one is that new command that Jesus gives his disciples, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But the second thing that this day and this night focuses on is the institution of the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion. And so we'll celebrate Holy Communion tonight, and you'll see later, we will strip every liturgical symbol off of the altar. We'll take it all away, and no communion will be celebrated. Now, people throughout the world may share communion, but no one will, will pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. No one will lift up the bread and the wine with the words of institution. It will only be given out of the reserved sacrament. So, Maundy Thursday. We find ourselves in a really precarious moment for Jesus. I love that he asks the question, do you understand what I've just done? It's a question that I ask myself a lot. Do I really understand what God is doing or what God has done? You see, in taking off his outer garment and laying it aside, 
which is really similar language for Jesus saying that I can lay down my life for my friends. Later in the same gospel, he'll say, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. But Jesus takes his outer garment and he lays it to the side and he takes a towel and only with a tunic on, sort of an undergarment, Jesus puts on clothes like a servant or more properly like a slave. To wash someone's feet in this culture, in this time, was the absolute lowest thing you could do for them. And if a Jewish person happened to be a slave, not even the Jewish person would wash the Jewish people's feet. They would only reserve that for a Gentile slave. And even today, when you go to the Middle East, feet are still very, and and I know even today here in Dallas, Texas, feet are a touchy topic. But even today, especially in the Middle East, feet are kind of off limits. But Jesus, in an effort to show and to serve these 12 men that have followed him these three years, who have heard his words, who have wanted to love him as best they could, to demonstrate how deep, how wide, how long, and how high that the love of God is in him, Jesus performs this act, this base act of a servant, of a slave. And I hope that you notice that there are two men that are called attention to. The first one that we notice is Peter. Jesus is doing just fine washing all the guy's feet until he gets to Peter. And Peter has to raise a stink. Oh no, no. And I'm sure it was out of a genuine heart. Peter has what we can tell, a genuine love for Jesus. Oh no, Jesus, you can't wash my feet. You'll never do that. Just like he said earlier, I'll never let you die. You know, no, you can't. And remember what Jesus said to Peter at that point? Get behind me, Satan. So we can only imagine what's coming next. So Peter says, no, no, Jesus, you can't, you can't wash my feet. And what, how does Jesus respond to him? Let's look at it. If I do not wash you, Peter, you have no share with me. Basically, you have no inheritance with me, Peter, unless I can do this act. And so Peter, in his religious zeal, says, oh, well, in that case, not only my feet, but my hands and my head, I'm here. So Peter reminds me of the person running down the aisle at the altar call, maybe. One commentator, and I want to read you this quote, one commentator says this, and this guy teaches at Trinity School for Ministry near Pittsburgh. He says, Peter, at this point, so remember, he said, first he says, no, you can't wash my feet. But then when Jesus says, well, if, you don't wash, if I don't wash them, you have no part with me. And Peter says, oh, well, then wash all me. At this point, Peter is an example of religious enthusiasm. That's a good thing, it seems, maybe, to be enthusiastic about religion in this case. Jesus, he's God, etc. But this religious enthusiasm is really a manifestation of the unregenerate self rather than of genuine discipleship. Just take a minute and think about that. Regenerate means to be born again. It means to be, 
you're a follower of Jesus, you're someone who's put their trust in Christ, that His free gift of salvation would give to you abundant life on this earth and eternal life in the, in the world to come. That's what it means to be regenerate. But, but if you're like me, and I can identify with Peter a little bit, there's still parts of you that aren't quite there yet. Does that make sense? So we know, we know what the Word says. We know what our Master has taught us. We remember that time He said, Get behind me, Satan. Maybe faintly. But we speak up in this religious zeal. Religion is a little bit different than relationship. We talked about, in our pastorate last night, we talked about how one of our pastor members said, you know, I grew up in a certain church and we were committed, we were devoted, we were always there. And, you know, from first grade until I graduated college, I was in this church. But I never really understood how to cultivate a relationship with God in Christ Jesus, by the power of the Spirit. And so we see Jesus poking at that in Peter a little bit. Peter has not discovered the depths of his own brokenness. The depths of his own selfishness. His denial of Jesus, soon to be predicted, will tear down his pride and clear the way for the genuine humility that is necessary for any real spiritual life. So Peter, the rock, the one on whom the Lord Jesus will build his church, kind of the first among equals, this primary leader of the church, even he, in this moment, was acting more out of his selfishness, more out of his brokenness. But do but you see that he was saying something spiritual? Can you identify that sort of trend or that sort of reflex in your own life? I hope that you can, because I certainly can. And when I read this passage, when I read about Jesus washing their feet and Peter saying, no, don't do it, and then overreacting in the other direction, I think about myself and about how I need the wall of my own pride, my selfishness, the brokenness that I'm completely blind to and totally unaware of. I need that to be broken down. I need my feet washed. I don't want to go to the links that Peter went to, denying Christ and teetering on the edge of apostasy. Thankfully, he was restored. He denied him three times. Jesus restored him three times. But Peter, no, Jesus, don't wash my feet. There's another man that's mentioned in this passage. Again, if you've ever doubted God's love for you, if you've ever doubted that the love of God is the most real and tangible reality on the face of this earth, this account on this night is a perfect example. You see, Jesus washed everyone's feet. Peter, James, John, Matthew, Bartholomew. Thaddeus, he went all around, even to Judas Iscariot. So Jesus, coming to die for the world, serves and dies not just for those who will love him back, but he dies for absolutely everyone. Now it says of Judas that Satan had put it into his heart this idea to betray Jesus. 
The church fathers call this the first step of temptation. Maybe you've been there, not with something quite as drastic, hopefully, but maybe you've been there where the, the, the little flicker of the idea, it's called the provocation. It's a good lesson for us that when that thought, or maybe we just generated ourselves, <laughs> we're certainly capable, but it's best to say no in that moment when the temptation is the weakest. But Judas, even after having his feet washed, even after having his rabbi, who it was unheard of for rabbis to do such a thing, serve him in this way, he still moves along on this night to betray Jesus later in the Garden of Gethsemane with a kiss. So Jesus, expounding on the love of God in words, but with this beautiful action. And later, he will tell his disciples. And this is after Judas is gone, so take note of that. Once the disciples have been cleansed of Judas, Jesus says this in verse 31, Now, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you and you will seek me. Just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. And here's our new commandment. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. The commandment to love wasn't new. It was widely known in the culture of Judaism, of course, in Greece, in Rome. But what Jesus is saying is, I'm showing you a new way to love. I'm inviting you, disciples, friends, men whose feet I've just washed, I'm inviting you into the love that the Father and I have for one another. There's a very intimate place. Now that love isn't new, because the love between the Father and the Son and the Spirit has existed from before the beginning of all time. But Jesus says it's new because He's inviting them into that love. John, the apostle who wrote this, when he was old and old age and the brothers would bring him into the assembly of the church, they would have to carry him in because he couldn't walk. He was known to say, little children, love one another. And they finally said, don't you? Yeah, we know. But what else? Te you know, teach us, John. Love one another. He would always reiterate. And if you read his epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, it's all about love. But this love has its perfect and most full expression on the cross. This love is made tangible to us in the washing of feet. And in a moment, voluntarily, you're going to be invited to, in a ceremonial way, wash each other's feet. Now, remember, all can, none must, and hopefully some will. But put yourself in Peter's shoes for just a moment. 
and remember how he did not want to receive the love of Christ. I encourage you to receive love from someone else tonight. Maybe you will wash somebody's feet during the ceremony and you see someone who's by themselves. Go grab them and wash feet. You can, you can wash more than one person's foot. But as we do it, may we remember that Jesus did this beautiful act of sacrifice on the night before he was betrayed for us. And in that moment, at that meal, is when he said, this bread, friends, that I am taking, blessing, breaking, and giving to you, and we know that the disciples would have recognized that action. We look at the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and when Jesus takes the bread and the fish, what does he do? He takes it, he blesses it, and he gives it. There's this familiar action, so familiar that in Luke 24, after the resurrection, Cleopas and his buddy on the road to Emmaus, they're, they're talking with the stranger, and the stranger doesn't know what happened to Jesus, their, their Lord and their Savior, their Master. And when Jesus, who's hidden, aha, when Jesus takes the bread and blesses it, and he breaks it and he gives it to them, what happens? Their eyes are opened in the breaking of the bread. You see, on this night was the Passover. It was the night when the people of Israel were delivered from the slavery and bondage to the Egyptians. And Jesus, in a way, and especially in the Gospel of John, is saying, I am not just the Lamb, I am the Passover Lamb of God. Remember the Lamb that they took the blood and they spread it over the doorpost? Jesus said, this is my blood of the new covenant shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. These are the final things that he's telling his disciples. The final actions that he is doing for his disciples. So if we have any question about whether, A, God loves us, over these next three days, we can rest assured that he has done the most base and vile things in order to redeem us from Satan, the world, and the flesh. Two, he tells us to love one another all the same. And what is love? Well, according to John in his gospel, love is laying down one's life for someone else. And three, he invites us to participate in this meal, this bread, and this wine, on this night, this Monday Thursday. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come. We know you are here, but we pray that you would open our eyes to the mystery of the Father's love for us and for all the world. Awaken and arouse our hearts to the mystery of the sacrament of your body and blood, Lord Jesus, that we participate in, that we take and eat and remember. Guide us now as we serve one another. We trust ourselves to you. Thank you that you've washed us with the water of your word. And now, Lord, as we wash one another's feet, may you be the one that washes our feet. Amen.